The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Well, it's time on the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. What is today? Thursday, April 27th, 2023. But Lord knows when you're going to be listening to this. I'm going to give you a headline, as I always do, uh, from today's paper to give you a sense of what's happening in the world in case you're listening to this podcast in the year 2042 or 2043. Uh, and this is from today's New York Times business section. Uh, man, this is, wow, I love this story. Disney cites retaliation for lawsuit versus DeSantis. Uh, Walt Disney Corporation has sued uh, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, arguing that he is uh, violating their First Amendment rights uh, with his legislation that's intended to punish them. Effectively, uh, that's what it is uh, intended to do. Uh, for their policies they've taken in opposition to his don't say gay legislation. And uh, here is the, the key quote from the lawsuit. I have it right in front of me. Let me read it. Here we go. Uh, in America, the government cannot punish you for speaking your mind. That's what Walt Disney, t- suddenly a freedom for First Amendment rights. I take particular delight in, in this lawsuit on many, many fronts. Uh, ra- this is perhaps the leading one, although I'll probably get a list of 10 things why I love this lawsuit. Uh, Ron DeSantis is a bully. Uh, he's the MAGA man who runs the state of California. Uh, he was uh, positioning himself to be the heir to Donald Trump's MAGA throne. Uh, Donald Trump has thoughts about that. Uh, and as such, he was going to out-Trump Trump uh, by doing battle with the libs. Uh, in particular, the libs are anybody who supports anything remotely resembling gay rights. Uh, as such, uh, he had his uh, stooges in the state house of Florida pass a bill that would prohibit teachers from teaching anything to do with gays. Uh, I think it's like third grade down. It's really interesting. Whenever you point out all the problems of the bill, Ron DeSantis like pushes back and says, no, it doesn't do that. When, of course, it does do that. It's got teachers scared. At the same time he's doing this, at the same time he's stepping on the rights of teachers to teach, 
uh, <laughs> and passing other bills that say librarians can't have certain books in their libraries. He says he's a champion for free speech rights of MAGA people who want to, I don't know, insult liberals, insult gays, insult black people, etc. So let me get this straight. MAGA has a First Amendment protected right to say whatever they want, no matter who it insults. On the other hand, gay people don't have a right to talk about gay history or what have you, because that insults MAGA. Is that correct? Uh, Walt Disney got in the middle of this because uh, they opposed uh, the legislation. DeSantis got mad at them, called them uh, woke corporations, uh, tried to pass laws that would take away their special privileges, which gets into the whole issue of taxing districts in the state of Florida, which I could probably spend an hour talking about, but I'm going to refrain myself. Uh, And so now we have this delightful moment where uh, Disney is suing the so-called champion of First Amendment uh, free expression uh, because he violated clearly uh, their First Amendment free expression rights. Uh, One more example of the utter hypocrisy of the MAGA movement uh, in this country right now. And the the part that's interesting is that Donald Trump is like sort of merging as a quasi-Disney ally in this, anything to antagonize DeSantis. The lawyer that Disney hired is one of Donald Trump's lawyers. So this is like really twisted, weird MAGA politics uh, as well. And um, I'll be following this one for a while, probably do a whole show on this. But we're not going to do a whole show on this now. That was just uh, giving you a sense of what's in the paper uh, as I begin this interview with my distinguished guest. And as I do with all bonus segments on the Ben Jarofsky Show, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself. Distinguished guest, take it away. <laughs> um, I feel so distinguished. My name uh, is, uh, I'm not a MAGA, MAGA guy. Um, uh, my name is John Pick. Um, I am an uh, actor, writer, producer uh, in Los Angeles, California, but born and raised in Chicago. Uh, my father uh, was a reporter uh, for the Reader um, his name was Grant Pick. He passed away in 2005. And as he was a good friend of Ben Jarofsky. Um, and uh, unfortunately, he never got to listen to the Ben Jarofsky show. Um, and But uh, I'm, uh, I'm grateful to be uh, your distinguished guest yeah. today. And John Pick is also the answer to the trivia question. Who is the first person that Ben Jarofsky ever went to a Chicago Blackhawks game with? John Pick! And and it's a Grant Pick connection, so allow me this moment uh, to tell this little tale, which I'm sure John is really sick of. Uh, who cares if he's sick of it? He's going to hear it again anyway. Uh, so I believe John was 13 years old. Uh, whatever that was. Whatever year that was, John. Whatever. Think back to when you were 13 years old. And um, your dad had purchased two tickets to see the Chicago Blackhawks in a playoff game. Uh, and I believe it was a Sunday matinee. Uh, and at the last minute, something came up and Grant could not go. My dear friend, Grant could not go. <laughs> so apparently, not knowing anybody, anybody in the Grant Pick universe who cared about sports, in utter desperation, he called me and he said, Ben, could you bail me out? I promised John I would take him to this hockey game, but I can't go. I need someone to take him to this hockey game. Uh, I'm a diehard sports fan, ladies and gentlemen, Uh, basketball, baseball, football, boxing, 
But I long ago gave up hockey. I haven't followed hockey uh, since 1971 when the Blackhawks got rid of Bobby Hall. I said, Grant, anything for you. So I drove to your house, John, picked you up, took you to, I, I think it was the old Chicago Stadium. I think it was still in the old, the big barn on Madison. And we watched the Blackhawks. Uh, you were a delightful company at age 13, inquisitive, yet talkative. I had a conversation with you. I think we probably spent more, more time talking about the Bulls uh, than the Blackhawks. But you were a Blackhawk fan. Do you have any memory of that moment other than having sat through my uh, recitation of it time after time? Um, well, I feel like uh, I do remember that. I feel like I remember it was a playoff game. And I do think they – I don't know why I remember they were playing the St. Louis Blues. Um, and I think they lost, uh, but I also am surprised to hear, I, I'm not really a hockey fan and I don't think I was. And like, it would be I, I, my, I would venture to say that my father was given these tickets by somebody. I don't see myself saying, Hey dad, I really want to go to this hockey game. Uh, or him going, he wasn't, he didn't give a sh- damn about hockey so i don't really uh that was probably the story um but i do remember yeah it was definitely at the old chicago stadium and and for me it was my first i'd never been to a hockey game that was my first hockey game i think wow i had it and by the way i must amend my own story i must correct my own story uh, correction if this is the new york times it'd be correction it really wasn't my first hockey game uh so i even got the trivia question wrong uh now that i think of it i think i went to a hockey game in 1969 don't quote me on that john uh when i was a freshman in high school a friend of mine took me to a hockey game so you would have been the second and i've since gone to a third uh so anyway enough on that story but i just <laughs> Were you 13, by the way? Do you remember that much? Uh, I think so. That, that would make sense in the math of it. Um, I feel like I remember being surprised by the fact that there were, like, really great Blackhawks fans. Like, uh, it, and that goes to the whole, like, Will Wirtz not putting the Blackhawks on television thing so like i think people who grew up in chicago were never hockey fans because they couldn't see it on tv myself included i might have been a hockey fan but i remember being at that game and being like oh people are really into this yeah no diehard blackhawks fans it's like more like a cult but let's not uh spend any more time talking about the blackhawks because what you just said about Wurtz. I realize it requires an explanation because 99.9% of our listeners right now have no idea uh, what you're talking about. But you know what, folks? I'm not going to give you that explanation. If you care, look it up on the computer. Uh, We have bigger things to talk about. Uh, And uh, so let's talk about Grant Pick, uh, my dear friend, and your father, uh, who died, as you said, uh, at a young age in uh, 2005. And uh, I'll begin with a um, uh, a brief introduction, and then, John, you pick it up from there. Uh, in my humble opinion, Grant Pick was one of the great feature writers in uh, Chicago journalism. Uh, he had 
he was attracted to the quirky characters that populate the city of Chicago. In his own life, Grant was an activist, very involved in the public schools, ran for the local school council uh, at, I think it was LaSalle uh, Language Academy where his kids went to school. And then he went beyond that and ran for the citywide council, which was just totally immersed uh, in public school politics. But in his professional life, he didn't really cover politics or education, et cetera, and so forth. He, he specialized in feature stories uh, about characters that nobody else would write about. And um, the reader at the time was very much open to that kind of article. The reader was the alternative newspaper in the city of Chicago. Uh, and so that meant they were more than willing to turn over quite a bit of newspaper space to articles about people that would never, ever, ever be covered uh, in the mainstream dailies. And uh, Grant Pick, <laughs> he had a nose for him. Be walking down the street, see some uh, odd-looking character, walk up to him and start talking to him. Next thing you know, he's working on a uh, thousands and thousands of word story uh, about that uh, character that he met. And I was a big fan of Grant's stories, uh, and I would tease him about them all the time, and he would tease me about my political coverage as well. A lot of teasing going on between me and the great Grant Pick. Um, and, John, you're... Uh, you're putting uh, together a documentary uh, you, and uh, just to pay tribute to your father. So let's just talk a bit about how you see your dad's legacy. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, you know, he was uh, he was really sort of, I, I, you know, he was my father always. And he, but he was always um, I think I, I, I when he passed away, I, I, it, it was like, a, you know, the sound of the tree falling was loud that I didn't understand people. Um, you know, I, he had a, a great legacy as a journalist and as a civic leader and he was a great dad. Um, and, uh, you know, everybody has their time on this planet and they, they move on. Um, so in the, in the immediacy of his, of his death, I, um, put together a collection of his work. He always wanted to write a book. He's the, he sort of said he had never had the right idea. Um, and so after his death, we were able to put together a compilation of his stories, which was pu published by the uh, Northwestern University Press. It's called The People Are the News. Um, and, uh, you know, I didn't really know, like, I hadn't read a lot of what he wrote about and who he followed. And, you know, I was a teenager and I didn't read as much as much as I um, did other things, but uh, he, um, I think, yeah, he really, I mean, he explored the city of Chicago. He reported on all kinds of ethnicities and um, uh, how, um, how organizations were weathering adversity, how, uh, political things that you wouldn't sort of, you'd sort of look at. I mean, I think, you know, he would look at people with a sort of like a, Oh, who's this person? And how do we humanize their, um, struggle and their, their narrative, but also sort of, he had these very quirky articles about, I mean, he had an article, uh, in 
not long before he died about you know uh, the fight for a cell phone tower, um, how a cell phone tower was going to go up in some neighborhood, and uh, and um, that was. Uh, You know what? That I'm scratch that. Uh, that was another person that I knew who wrote an article about that. That was not my father's article, so we got to kill that. Uh, I uh, um, it was another reader article, but um, he wrote um, you know an article about a free range chicken farm in Western Illinois, um, and you know that the chickens were. Uh, were going to taste better because they were more more free. Um, or he wrote, I mean, his sort of seminal article, which we used in his uh, to honor him at, at the funeral, was um, about a guy who was he was walking down the street um, at uh, on 80th and Ashland, and the guy stopped my dad and said, "Your jacket collar is tucked into your shirt." Um, at which point my dad looked at him and the guy had, was wearing a, a blanket of, uh, keys that were attached together over his shoulders. And he wore this blanket of keys. And that's what you're referencing. My father followed, immediately saw a story and followed him and followed him into a liquor store and then followed him home and profiled this man who you probably wouldn't, um, you know, it was just a, someone you wouldn't humanize. And I, I think that was sort of the, um, the justice of his journalism, if anything. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he, um, and, and my project, um, you know, I, 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 I my dad passed, to me, sort of a, a love of stories and a love of storytelling. And um, that was really, a, you know, I, I fell in love with acting and doing it more like playing the character as opposed to um, profiling the character. Um, and that's been sort of my journey, which was just beginning um, in the moment that my dad suddenly dropped dead. Um, and there were things um there were a confluence of 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 the roles that i was playing and the articles that he was following sort of in that season of of his passing that I, they they were like um the uh the synchronicity was i, I wrote I've, in writing about it i wrote that like a helicopter was like if synchronicity was a helicopter, it was landing its X spot on like my, on my forehead or something like that. Like it was, I was in, um, a production of Hamlet. Um, in fact, the last time I saw my dad alive was when he came to see me perform in Hamlet. Um, I was in a, I auditioned the day of his, uh, funeral for a, commercial for ESPN radio where I played a, a coroner who was doing an autopsy on someone who just died. Um, so, uh, and I think my theory is like that. So there are, there are a bunch of sort of 
coincidences um, that allowed me, I think, in that moment and through my craft to process this, you know, very sudden. It was, I, I, I think that it was almost like his spirit was saying goodbye to me without knowing it. Um, so. I think I was. I don't know if that's that too deep of an tower. intro. Uh, John, uh, just. For well, so that word. was Chris Hayes. Oh, it's Chris Hayes. Oh, Chris Hayes. Sorry. Because uh, th- that was a lot. Chris Hayes, uh, <laughs> the uh, TV star, uh, had a, uh, a moment with at the Reed right. many, many years ago. Uh, but I, I, I was, right. it was his story. Okay. Because those were stories that were. Who's a good friend? Of, he's a good friend of mine. He was a good friend that. of mine and also someone that my. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that my dad mentored in that moment. Um, so that's why I'm, I'm confusing him. I'm pretty sure that that was his and not my dad's, though. I'm actually not positive, but I think it was. Uh, anyway, uh, I thought it might have been mine, but because uh, I remember writing a story oh. about it. So you got it all mixed up, man. You, it wasn't your dad's. It wasn't Chris Hayes. I don't know who whose it was. You said something I just want to follow up. You had an audition on the day of his funeral. I did not know that. Uh, that must have been traumatic. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I was sort of understanding that this moment was like kind of flowing through me. Um, and that, I mean, you know, I, I, and I was a performer and that I, it was, uh, it was a moment to step into. Um, that when I look back, I'm grateful for, you know, it's, I mean, I was in the most famous play about death, the moment that I needed it most and sort of just under like the ability to like, you know, to get in touch with Hamlet was, um, was a gift. Um, and I was playing the character who says, there's the ghost. Um, and so, um, I would guess, uh, I was speaking more for myself. I, I would, I would guess that Grant would want you to go to the audition. You know, it's a funny thing. It's like, um, uh, most parents are very ambitious for their kids. They want their kids to succeed. They don't want anything to screw up their kids. And so, like, if if he could literally come back and talk to you and go, no, you got to go to that audition. You can go to the funeral later. Go to that audition. Don't use me as an excuse to miss that audition. You're going to that audition. I'd drive you myself, except I'm inconvenienced at the moment. Um, that's, I think, what I would say <laughs> if it was you, if you were my son. Uh, so did you get the gig? I mean, it was, it was clear to me. I was like, oh, whoa. Like, and then I booked it. It was like, it was my second job. I booked it. And, you know, a week later I was, I went to the, I was shooting in the morgue. I think your dad did a story, uh, about the morgue, which is uh, really trippy. I don't have it in front of me. Um, I do believe he did a story uh, about the, the morgue. 
so you were saying something to me before the uh, the show, uh, at least before we started talking on the mic, uh, and that is you've been feeling your dad's spirit uh, come to you at various moments. Uh, and I really picked up on that because I've been going through my moments where I feel the spirit of people who have passed. Uh, so why don't you uh, explain what it, uh, what you're talking about, go into a little more detail about feeling your dad's spirit. Well, you were talking about your your uh, spirit walks, um, which I was I, I definitely have felt like you know I, I I probably started because I was taking acting walks where I would like you know walk around reciting monologues um, and um. Yeah, I, I, well, so this moment, the moment of his passing, I, I I could never sort of, I always felt like, oh, there's something crazier going on that, um, um, and then fast forward to uh, about four years later in 2009, I was traveling alone through. Um, I just got to see, I just got to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. I was like north of Ashland. Um, and, um, I, uh, heading towards Grant's Pass, Oregon. My dad was named Grant. And I was sort of, I was whipped off the road by a force that I'd never felt before. It was kind of terrifying. And, um, his spirit got in touch with me and told me that, and, and took me through sort of a dark night of the soul. Um, and, uh, I, I had, you know, um, and I may, a few years later, I went back up to that, um, same spot and made a short film about it. Um, and I could never quite figure out what it was about. Um, and, but recently I've, I've kind of dipped in a little harder and I've taken this moment of, um, of these roles and synchronicity that I was like experiencing in the moment of the season of his death. And then through, um, some other ones and I'm putting together, a uh, documentary, sort of an autobiographical supernatural, um, journey of, at storytelling and um so i've been working on that um and uh yeah he's and since then he's just been always his spirit's been around we can hang out when we're supposed to i guess um um and i mean what we were talking about that the article the um Rogers Park article. Um, um, I was in, I was, I went, it was back in Chicago last summer. Um, and I was getting some old, I was looking through the, the archives at the Chicago Public Library on the fourth floor. Um, and I was going through microfiche and the librarian had been helping me and I was finding old, a few old articles that my dad wrote and the phone rang and she, 
I saw her talk and then she came over and after this phone call, she was like, you, you wouldn't believe it. There's somebody who uh, just called also looking, he, she's looking for an article that your father wrote, which just kind of blew my mind because of all days that, you know, I'm there, you know, and, um, and I said, well, can you put me in touch with this person? And they were a reporter um, for the Arizona Republic that um, that uh, she was reporting on the attorney general's race in Arizona because the guy because my dad wrote an article about um, the, the, the attorney general's candidate. Uh, father was convicted of um, conspiring to bomb a synagogue in in Chicago in Rogers Park in 1996, and this was his son was running for. Um, she was doing a profile piece on. He was a Republican candidate in Arizona, and um, and was uh, kind of a questionable character, um, but. And that he had changed his name to protect his association to his father and being a um, being an anti-Semite, I guess. Um, but uh, anyway, the guy ran for office and he lost by less. Than, there was a, I think there was a recount, and he lost by less than like a thousand votes. So it made me feel good that, like, you know, this reporting from 25 years ago was like having a play in the 2022 election, um, you know, probably swayed 500 minds, maybe. Um, so the uh, the candidate uh, that John's alluded to uh, was a MAGA man and uh, was running statewide attorney general uh, in the. Uh, that was a key election. There were three elections in Arizona in uh, 2022. If anybody remembers, Kyrie Lake running as the MAGA candidate for governor, and there was a MAGA secretary of state, uh, and they were determined to undo the corruption that never existed uh, the, that occurred allegedly, which they just made up. So I don't even say allegedly, they just made it up in 2020 when uh, they maintained that Joe Biden did not win the state of Arizona, Donald Trump did. Uh, there's still this, a strong movement, a MAGA movement in Arizona uh, to deny that Joe Biden won that election uh, in Arizona. Uh, and as a result, they want to change election laws so to make sure that the theft that never actually occurred never occurs again, even though, again, it never actually occurred. Uh, and it's so bizarre and twisted that one of the leaders of that movement is the son of a man uh, who is involved uh, in this law, in this uh, court case way back when in 1996 about a firebombing of a synagogue in West Rogers Park. Again, this is one of those stories that you would read about in the, the paper uh, and then in a mainstream paper like the Tribune or the Sun-Times and there may be a story about the, um, uh, the indictment and there may be a story about the conviction uh, but there really won't be any stories about the synagogue, the people who run the synagogue, the people in the neighborhood except that Grant Pick was drawn to it uh, and did an extensive only in the reader story uh, 
that uh, really gets into a lot of the details of everybody involved, including the defendants, John, not just um, uh, the folks, the Jewish people whose synagogue was firebombed, but uh, the people who were accused of it. And twisted, bizarre, weird worlds, which is why I do believe, I, I don't know about spirits, I don't know if I want to go down that path, but the world works in mysterious ways that this uh, the son of this defendant uh, would be running as a MAGA man in Arizona. Okay, in Arizona. Uh, and while John Pick is sitting in a library, happens to be in Chicago. Guy doesn't even live in Chicago anymore, ladies and gentlemen. The phone would ring and there would be an re- inquiring reporter for a Grant Pick story from 1996. We're in the Twilight Zone. And... Um, so I, I mean, I, I don't keep this a secret, John. Yeah, I do spirit walk. You call them spirit walks. I never thought of that term. I think that's a pretty good term. I may use it, maybe give you credit, maybe not. Uh, but I put this in a, a reader story I just wrote. Uh, so late at night, I do a lot of walking. It's, I've come to that age where just I, my basketball career is over. I don't jog anymore. Uh, I just walk. That's my exercise. Uh, and I do a lot of walking and a lot of sometimes it's late night walking, mainly because I procrastinated all day. And so where I walk, particularly in COVID times, completely deserted, John, no one around, isolated. You know, it's just very quiet residential streets. It's just me walking down the streets. And uh, good friend Mark Sims, shout out Mark Sims, says I should be. Uh, thankful that i live in a neighborhood where that itself is not dangerous to walk although i may be tempting fate uh and so i find myself talking to myself more often than not uh because i'm all alone you try it john you walk all alone somewhere at night see if you don't start talking to yourself and so then like i'll be like telling I don't even know like what I'm talking about. I could be talking about sports, whatever, doing an interview with myself. Uh, and the next thing you know, I start talking to people who've passed. And I've been doing this a lot with Karen Lewis, the late, great Karen Lewis, uh, president of the Chicago Teachers Union. She died of cancer uh, in 2021 because uh, her uh, disciple, Brandon Johnson, uh, is just elected mayor of Chicago. He's mayor-elect right now. I go, Karen, you won't believe this. You won't believe who's the mayor of the city of Chicago. Brandon, or the mayor-elect. And you won't believe who we beat. Vallis. Karen was a teacher in the 90s, so she knows all about Paul Vallis because he ran the public schools when John was a young scholar uh, in the public schools of Chicago. So I understand the concept, I truly do, of like feeling presence of people who are not with us, the ancestors, if you will. I, I've never taken it to the next step uh, other than the, the last article I wrote, a column I wrote, and uh, exploring it, you know, in any kind of uh, long-form journalism or short story or uh, even the uh, a podcast bit. But you are. You're taking it to the next step, and in this... Uh, project you're working on do you have any sense of like how you're going to go about it uh are you going to have someone 
play the role of your father? There's going to be uh, is he going to have lines in this? Um, well, the the version that I, that is a version that fiction the fictionalized version was something I played with quite a bit, and then I, 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 I as I you know tossed that up and turned around like pizza dough, I I I, I kind of just got to the raw story of me telling it and then putting in uh, footage I had of myself and pictures I had of my, of my father. My mother uh, is a, a wonderful photographer and there were a lot of photos of my father and me and my dad and just a tiny bit of video of him, um, which... Um, and yeah, it's, it's uh, what I think what I realized is I was inhabiting a story that like by my pursuit of what I was just following as an actor actually created, I, I, I had, I had created a story or there was something, a story path for me to follow, um, that I think my dad's spirit had a part in, um, and, um, yeah, he, uh, and so right now I'm editing a, uh, sort of an autobiographical, um, piece involving me, um, uh, and, uh, I, I've, I've tossed around someone playing Grant, but, you know, the thing about, my dad also was he didn't put himself in his stories. He it was more about those people that um, he came across. Um, you know, he was a common or he just he. Um, he was a, yeah, I think he was a great journalist. I mean, um, so. Um, and this is a, a way of. I've can we still have a a, a a relationship? I know your dad didn't put himself in the stories, although I think he's in the key story, the key man story. Uh, memory serves me correctly. Uh, his his famous key story, and I would I would we would actually I would urge him to put himself uh, in his stories, and uh, <laughs> he didn't see it that way. Um, so I never really convinced him that he should be a character in his stories because he was a character. Uh, and uh, so why deprive your readers of your character? Uh, but, you know, uh, he didn't see it that way. And I don't know, maybe he would have moved on uh, to put himself into his stories uh, more. As I said, he died very young. The, the I urge everybody, if you're interested in this article about the, the firebombing of the the synagogue in West Rutgers Park. The name of the story is Fanning the Flames, and it appeared in the October 17th, 1996 Chicago Reader. Grant Pick, P-I-C-K, is the author's name. Uh, and you'll get a sense of an, just an old-school reader story uh, and a Grant Pick story. As I said, um, he uh, was one of the outstanding journalists of that era, I think of the alternative news era uh, in Chicago from the 70s 
into the O's. And there's no question in my mind that Grant Pick is one of the um, outstanding writers of our time, of that time. Uh, all right, we'll close with a little basketball talk. Uh, John Pick, as we said earlier, is a big-time basketball fan, not a hockey fan. Don't get that wrong. Don't ever get that wrong again. Uh, and um, you've since moved to Los Angeles, but I believe your heart remains with the Chicago Bulls. Uh, and as such, <laughs> we we exchanged texts <laughs> on the day that the Bulls lost uh, and their season ended. Uh, to Miami in the play-in game where the Bulls had about a seven-point lead, I want to say, in the fourth quarter and ended up losing. And, John, I was really upset when that game happened. Uh, yeah, I watched it on the boob tube. But, you know, since the playoffs has unwinded and I've watched Miami defeat Milwaukee, the number one ranked team uh, in the East, they were the top, uh, team in the East, and they essentially did it the same way they beat the Bulls. They came from behind uh, in the fourth quarter uh, the, because Milwaukee just sort of folded under the pressure of the moment, uh, and Jimmy Butler, the star of Miami, rose to the moment. And when he hit his shots and inspired his teammates, they weren't afraid anymore. And so one team was playing without fear, and the other team was playing with fear. Uh, and that's how Miami, in my humble opinion, beat the Bucks four games to one, particularly last night's classic one-point overtime victory. And that's how they beat the Bulls in that one-game playoff. So I don't feel bad about the Bulls, John. This is my way of saying, you know what? Miami's a pretty good team. They did to the Bucks what they did to the Bulls, and the Bucks were the number one team in the league. So, you know, maybe there's hope. Uh, for my beloved Bulls. Do you think there's some truth to what I'm saying, or am I just deluding myself? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think um, first of all, I'll say that we, we I feel like we've had a spirited conversation about many things, including my father, and there was like a very somber, my dad, you know, was a very goofy, giggly guy, so you know, there was uh, just re-referencing that conversation. But the Bulls, um, you know, anytime there's a playoff game, I enjoy watching. Giannis, I don't know if you saw what Giannis said after the Heat series about uh, about where the reporter was coming in and saying, uh, you know, is this a failure? And he had this beautiful um, uh, analysis of failure. He's like, you know, turned it on him and said, is it a failure? He just plays every year. And I think back to what the bulls are, you know, I respect the fact they kept it together and they had some good basketball down the stretch and they had a you know, they want to, they want to play in game and, uh, uh, Hope in terms of, uh, you know, they're they'll, they're going to do something. I have trust in the front office. I think they'll do something interesting. They'll make the team better. Um, and it's a fun, exciting team to watch. I feel like they had. I mean, it's Lonzo Ball. They, they didn't predict that Lonzo Ball would get hurt, and they had a, be- a really good design for this team. So, you know, 
they'll figure something else out, I think, better than what Gar Foreman and John Paxson were doing. <laughs> you mean the guys? Even though they Jimmy drafted Butler. Jimmy Butler. Uh, and then traded him. Uh, uh, <laughs> they traded, but they got Zach Levine in that trade. See, Bulls fans, you guys aren't fair. All right. You really aren't fair. We traded Jimmy Butler. Well, first of all, you guys are the ones who are always going, you know, it's time to blow up the team. It, this gets at the heart, John, if I may. This gets at the heart of what Giannis was saying last night. And I saw that. I loved it. I sent it out to a bunch of people on Instagram. It was brilliant. First of all, the p- reporter who they didn't name or show was annoying as hell. Because Giannis begins, I think the guy's name is Eric. He goes, Eric, you asked me the same question last year. <laughs> When we lost. Do I have to deal with this every year? We don't win a championship. I got to deal with you going, well, Giannis, this is a failure. Do you feel like you're a failure? You know, just imagine that, John Pick. Like if everything you did, as soon as you're done doing it, there's a reporter going, John, that performance you gave at Hamlet was so-so. Do you feel like you're a failure, John? (laughs) You know? And so Giannis kind of put the guy in his place. And I thought in a very philosophical way. Uh, and uh, but the the point is, basketball fans, to a large degree, are locked into this false choice. John, follow me on this: that if your team doesn't win a championship, it's a failure, and that if your team is like in the middle ground, like maybe you're a playing team and then you lose, you're a failure, and you should blow up that team and start all over again, tanking. This is like. Gospel to so many people in the world of sports. You should, you're if you're anything less than being a champion is a failure, and you should just destroy what you have. So this was the prevailing attitude in 2017 when the Chicago Bulls traded Jimmy Butler for Zach Levine. Now Bulls fans with the <laughs> with hindsight are like, oh my god, can you believe the Bulls traded Jimmy Butler? Hello, Bulls fans, you're the one asking the Bulls to trade him. Man, I, I just like there's nothing more inconsistent uh, than maybe Ron DeSantis on the issue of free expression, John, than a sports fan talking about his team. Okay. They're totally like in the moment and they have all the wisdom of that moment. You get what I'm saying? Well, of course you shouldn't have traded Jimmy Butler, <laughs> except that you were saying trade him back in 2017. Sorry. I just had a get that out of my system uh right there and yeah no it's it's process over product you know the process is you know trust the process that you know is there's going to be a five to seven year development thing that they need to build upon and i think that's great man i don't have five years i'm an old guy (laughs) five years I'll take Zach and DeMar DeRozan and Kobe White for the next five years. And if they're 41 and 41 and make the playoffs, I'm like, hey, hey. No, let me find some other guy. I have faith in this Arturis guy. He's a a sneaky bastard. (laughs) But he's good sneaky. Oh, yeah, he's crafty. He'll figure something out. And and then he'll say, I told you so. Yes. We'll bring you on next year at this time. John Pick, I told you so, Ben, as we're celebrating in Grand Park, uh, the Bulls championship. Uh, <laughs> that's why I say at the start of every year, John, to all the doubters, I go, hey, I'll save a spot for you in Grand Park for the championship. 
and I've been saving that same. Well, if it doesn't work out, we'll go to another Hawks game. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you and I are ever going to go to another Hawks game. That was our Paris, okay? You know, we'll always have Paris. We'll always have that Blackhawks game uh, in uh, the nineteen early nineties, whatever that was. Jeremy, uh, all right, John Pick, keep me posted on all the developments. Uh, the documentary, uh, paying tribute to the great Grant Pick. I urge everybody out there, you can find his stories uh, on the Reader website. You can buy the book. Uh, the People Are the News. You can order it online. Um, I don't know. It's uh, Grant Pick was one of the, the stars of alternative journalism, and uh, I'm glad to see uh, that, John, you're doing what you can to keep that uh, – his name alive. So good luck to you, John. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Thanks so much for having me. All right. That's John Pick. I'm Ben Drowski. Take care, everybody. 